Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixoni Rare Plants. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning everybody out there. And it does look like it's going to be a nice day to be out in the garden. Beautiful. Yeah, not, not too hot. Yeah, not too hot, not windy. Uh, just the right sort of day to be out there. Well, gardening and perhaps enjoying the garden. I mean, it's something that people sometimes forget. You get carried away with the weeding and the pruning and, the, and whatever else you have to do in the garden, which is a multitude of things. Today would be a nice day to take a cup of coffee out in the garden and just sit and look at the flowers, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, which, yes. of course, doesn't encourage me to get some work done at the nursery. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> sometimes you do have those days where you need to sort of just relax and quite literally smell the roses. So why not indeed? It's also actually the perfect day to go and visit a, a nursery. What a, a lot of stuff is idea. out in bloom. Yeah. And yeah. for people who've suddenly... You know, felt the spring bug hit them and yeah. they want to rejuvenate their gardens. Now's yeah. a chance to find a few nice, yeah. beautiful plants to pop in. Perfect timing because, uh, as you say, there's a lot of things in flower, so you can go out and see things in bloom. Um, if it's pot grown, it's not too late to plant things as long as you water them well in the succeeding summer. I don't know that I would want to plant a whole garden at this time of the year, but there's oh, no. no reason why you can't sort of add a little bit of sparkle to a garden bed by putting something else in that um, you haven't got in the garden. Mm. Um, and also there's some plants that are only seasonally available in nurseries at certain times. Uh, and we'll talk about one of them in due course that, you know, sometimes you've got to go out and see them in bloom to pick the one you want. Absolutely. Uh, to make sure you get the right colour. Um, uh, and... Then if it's not time to plant it, well, you buy it, you take it home and you keep it in the pot. If, if you can plant it, well, well and good. But a lot of plants you really do need to see in flower. And particularly if you're one of those gardeners that likes to colour coordinate carefully, um, you know, there's different shades of the same colour. And sometimes they yell at each other. I mean, I, there's sort of the salmon pink range and the lolly pink range look dreadful together if you whack them into a garden bit thinking, I'll just make this lovely pink border. That's right. And, and, and the same can be said of reds. You have reds that are, are sort of on the blue end of the scale and you have reds that are on the orange end of the scale and they can often sort of look really odd together. Mm. So, you know, if you are colour coordinating, it's really important to buy things when they're in flower so that you can actually see exactly the colour you're getting. And look, everybody has a different description for colours. I mean, I see myself as reasonably good at describing colours, but people see colours in different ways. Of course so they do. If I describe a plant as being blood red or something, it might have a completely different context for somebody else. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yes, it's, a, it's really important to see things in bloom if you're trying to get sort of certain colour combinations working for you. And so now would be a good time to go out and have a look around the nurseries. There's still plenty of spring flowering things in bloom. Oh, yes. Um, we're going to – you're going to start getting the – and I can't remember how Tim Entwistle works his seasons out, but uh, we're going to start getting the later spring things coming out and the very early summer things starting to do their stuff shortly. Um, and that, in a sense, is important too because we do get carried away in the spring. After, mm. after winter, we go rushing out and we buy lots of stuff. Well, we've been hibernating for too long. <laughs> <laughs> true, Pam, very true indeed. Uh, but the thing that can sometimes happen, and this is something you've got to actually guard against, is actually getting too carried away with things that all flower at once in the spring 
because then you are locking yourself away from having interesting things for the summer, interesting things yeah, for the Yeah, so suddenly autumn. when the spring's over, your garden looks suddenly yeah. dreadful. Yeah. There's no colour anywhere. And yes, you may well be one of those gardeners that will only open their gates to the public on the second weekend in November or something because it's the only time your roses <laughs> look at their best or whatever. Yes, yes. So you do have to sort of push things out. And although I love to get carried away by a beautiful flower on a plant in a nursery, if you're not familiar with the plant, it's always a good idea to talk to the nurseryman and say, all right, well, it's lovely in flower, but does it do anything else? Mm. You know, I think that can be something that, you know, does it have good autumn foliage? Does it have attractive berries? Has it got nice bark in the winter? Uh, does it have a lovely silhouette? I mean, there's so many different things about plants that we should be considering that it is quite easy to get carried away and go, oh, that thing's beautiful. I'll take that home and not think about what it's going to do at other times of the year. And so whether it's going to actually be a, uh, something that pays its way or whether it's going to be a waste of space mm. in some cases. So there are a few little thoughts uh, on perhaps nursery visiting this weekend. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Good morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. Morning, listeners. I, I, look, I find that conversation really interesting because I've been considering some of the plants in my garden because some of the legacy plants from when I bought the property, yeah. one of which is a is a beautiful fringe tree so oh, yes. fabulous white flowers in spring and I look forward they're only ever there for a few weeks mm. and I look forward to it every year but this year with the intensely hot days those flowers just shriveled oh, dear. Now, the intense heat and it also happened to a really lovely um, flowering apple that yeah. I've got in the garden and both trees are beautifully shaped trees um, they look fantastic, mm. but the flowers and now with the intense heat that we seem to be getting more regularly in October um, or even earlier, sometimes yeah. we get it in September, those trees may be becoming non-viable because the blossoming is short anyway and now mm. it's getting cut even shorter yeah, and if they by the really else. hot days. Yes. So, I mean, they've, I'm very fond of them, so I probably won't take them out. I'll just hope that Well, I hope you don't take out the fringe tree because they're actually not that easy to get either. Okay. Yeah. It's actually a comparatively difficult plant to get well, in Well, it's the, a beautifully shaped tree yeah. and, yeah. It's, and it's got a fabulous bark. So well, and that's the, the other thing. You've really got to look. Nice. If there's yeah. something else there that holds it in place, you can take that away and say, all right, well... You know, maybe the flowering was short this year. Some years I might get a good long flowering out of it, or at least long for that species. Mm -hmm. uh, but does it do anything else? So, yes, yeah. the bark is, is one of those things we all tend to take for granted, mm. but it can actually be quite an important, if subtle, aspect of a tree. Yes. So, you know, there's all those little things yeah. that we should be But I, I just think this is another element that yeah. we need to think about. So, mm. you know, particularly if they're very soft flowers and, mm. and white, I find in particular for some reason, are, are really badly affected by intensity. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, certainly my tulips didn't last long this year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. they yes. didn't have a hope, did no, they? No, they didn't. Oh. They were all looking stunning, and about three days later they were all yes. full. Yes. They were all gone. Well, I, I just went away for a day <laughs> to do a talk, and when I came back, all these flowers were sort of uh, dead in the garden. So, oh, dear. Well, it's just yeah. one of the fun things of gardening, yeah, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. You've just got to roll with the punches sometimes. In, yes. Yep, yep. We also have to say a very good morning to Wendy Henderson. And, Wendy, you're from the Growing Friends uh, Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. Yes, I am. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm in to talk a bit, a bit about uh, the sale we have next weekend. Uh, and I'm really interested to hear um, everything you guys were saying because we've got a lot of plants out there that have myriad uh, characteristics that you've been talking about. So, yes, um, it's next weekend 
Um, the times are uh, on Saturday from 10 to 4 and on Sunday from 10 to 3. Um, we've all been talking about the um, marathon this this morning and how difficult parking is around the place so early on. Um, and even if there's bad parking, difficult parking next week, we have a wonderful system. We've worked this one out uh, because there's always something happening in uh, Birdsville, Birdswood Avenue, so sometimes parking is difficult. And what we do is, if you come along and uh, buy lots of plants, we have men on hand with trolleys who will take them out to the um, to the avenue and you go and get your car and we will actually pack your car oh, for that's you fantastic. with all your plants. Mm. Yes. So if you're elderly or even if you're not elderly, some, you know, plants get very, very heavy. And uh, so we've got this service so that people ca- don't feel put off by a lack of parking. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Now, it's actually uh, just inside Gate E. It's inside Gate E, yes, uh, which is one down from the herbarium, which is F, so you're going away from the shrine. Um, there's free parking all Saturday and Sunday, which is terrific. Um, it's... Uh, a system whereby you walk down this slope and then come up through the entry tent where you can buy catalogues uh, only for $2 and they're a fabulous thing. I really recommend people buying them because they're a terrific reference even if you even if you think you know how a plant should be and the conditions under which it should grow. Um, it's really great to look back at but also... When I'm selling plants to people and telling them about all sorts of things, you see their eyes glaze over and they just can't take it all in. So uh, that's that's fine. Get a catalogue. It's We're probably making a loss on them anyway. It doesn't really matter. But they're a fantastic reference point. So. Um, now, I know in previous years uh, the catalogues have also been available online. Uh, yeah, they may be. Yeah, Do well, it? yes, they are definitely. There's definitely. I, I forgot to look this morning. I must say, but it should be up now on the uh, Botanic Gardens site. Right. Yeah, there'll be. So you can do a bit of pre-shopping. Oh, yes, yes, you can see. No, it's really, really Look at what you're going to run for. That's right. Oh, everyone's very well organised in in the queue out the front. You know, they've all got their catalogues and they've all got their notes and they just run Mm. for, you know, wherever they're trying to get to. And I assume that some plants are in quite limited quantities. They are. Mm -hmm. Some are, yes. So uh, it, it can be disappointing for people who are, you know, only half an hour, you know, 10.30 10.30 or whatever, and and something's already gone. Do the friends actually hold a few plants back for the Sunday, for people no. who can't get there on the Saturday? No, we don't. But, well, normally we don't. So it's first in best dress. Okay. So be there with, with all your money. But um, the other thing is this time it's going to be slightly different because our area, the area of the sale has been reduced because the gardens have pulled out all the lily pillies along... There was this huge hedge. Oh, of so lily I remember pillars. the lily pillies. Yeah. yeah, they've pulled them all out, and so um, and that's just a bit of a you know a mess there. So we've had to move over. So we don't have as many plants going to the sale, but we also have lots of people with trolleys that when we when we um, uh, sell out of something, we bring more down if okay. we've got more. Yes. But it is a reduced area. Okay. Yeah. So, no, but if you really want to get the really fabulous 
stuff. Is that one plant you didn't even know you needed until you saw it on the list? That's (laughs) right. That's right. So, yeah, get in early if you can. But there's still an awful lot of stuff that's just really fabulous that Mm. really, yeah, it doesn't matter. Know, when you turn up. You, and you presumably you've got a wide range, as you all, always do have. So, you know, shrubs, even trees, ground covers. Yes, we have distinct sections and we've got people dedicated to that section. So they're sort of experts in that, that area. So what we have is we have perennials. Uh, that's me <laughs> and Lucille and a f- quite a few others. Uh, trees and shrubs are in one section. We have a lovely succulent section and children love succulents, you know, cactusy things. And, and um, we have bromeliads, which are froggy plants. And with the bromeliads, we also have saracenias. Not many, but we have saracenias, which are pitcher plants and quite hard to find. So they're lovely. We've got bulbs. We've also got a large Australian native section. We have irises. We have camellias, herbs. Varea rhododendrons are just glorious. Mm. Does everyone know about mm. vareas? Yes, they're hard to find. Uh, what's happened is the gardens have given up their collection and so we've ended up with it. Oh. So, yes. Yeah, so um, I think they were just too hard to keep going. They, they need specific... Um, Conditions. So we've got them and we're propagating from them. So it's pretty hard to find them anywhere else. It's, it's a fabulous collection we have. Uh, and we've got the hanging baskets and the climbers and ferns and begonias and orchids and things like that as well. Dendrobiums are, are big at the moment um, So and platillas. So, yes, that's Plenty basic. for everybody. Plenty for everybody. And, of course, all the proceeds raised uh, goes back into the gardens. Absolutely. Mm. Every cent goes back into, yes, into the, well, it goes to the friends of the Botanic Gardens and they decide where it goes, but it all goes back into the gardens. Fantastic. Yes. How many months have you been preparing for this sale? (laughs) (laughs) Quite a few months. As as soon as one sale's over, and by the way, there are two sales a year. One's in autumn and this one's the spring one, obviously. Um, uh, We just start doing stuff the week or the second week after the sale. Right. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, that brings me to the fact that we do have for... Well, the sale that we have at the moment is for the general public, but we do have sales uh, monthly at our nursery for members, paid-up members of the growing fr- of the friends of the botanic gardens, and we do like to see ID. But people can come in and buy any time of of the year on a Friday, um, and that's published in, on on site on the on online. Okay. Yeah, yeah <coughs> uh, the the dates. Um, it's usually, oh, I can't remember. It's one Friday, one Friday a month. So that's That's for friends. That's for friends friends. only. Yep. 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 So it's good, you know, to do that, um, is, is better because it's not so fraught. You have time to look around and choose what you like, whereas it can be a bit of a bun fight. Yeah, (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) The normal sale. Okay, fantastic. I must get to a few community announcements. Um, Firstly, on today is the second day of the uh, Native Flower Show and Plant Sale, which is being held by the Australian Plant Society South Gippsland Branch. 
This is taking place down in the exhibition shed at the Leangatha Recreation Reserve, which is in Roughhead Street in Leangatha. Uh, 10 o'clock through to 4 o'clock today. Entry is $4. Children are free. There's obviously going to be a display of Australian flowers. There'll be named specimens, plant sales, and the book sales are taking place from the Bunyurong Environment Centre, which is in Inverloch. So that uh, Australian Native Plant Show today, um, 10 o'clock through to 4 o'clock, down at the Leangatha Recreation Reserve. Now, also on today, there is a fundraiser for the Brunswick Women's Choir now, this is an open gardens fundraiser and all the gardens are in Clifton Hill. They're all within walking distance of each other. Uh, now, you start at uh, number 92 Ramsden Street and then you can walk to the other four gardens. So there's five gardens in all. Uh, cost for all five gardens is $12 uh, and children are free. So... Um, if you've got nothing planned for the day, a wonderful time to have a little wander around mm. Clifton Hill looking at um, five open gardens. Now, they open you at 10 o'clock. You can look at everybody else's as you're walking along Yeah, as just well. peer over the fence yeah, as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, great value for money. Yes, absolutely. 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock today, and they will also have um, light refreshments all day, including Devonshire teas. They do uh, make a note, though, that there are uneven surfaces, so it's not suitable for prams, wheelchairs and walking frames. And, of course, no dogs allowed. Now, uh, also a reminder that coming up on Tuesday, the 20th of October, is the second um, information session uh, for anyone who's interested in volunteering at the Royal Botanic Gardens, uh, Melbourne. Uh, they had one information session last Monday, and this is the second one. So if you've had any thoughts at all about volunteering in any capacity at the uh, Royal Botanic Gardens, go along next Tuesday night, 20th of October, 6 o'clock in the Mueller Hall. Enter from Birdwood Avenue, which is next to Gate F, there, um, or you can download an application form if you want to apply, um, and that's on the RBG website, which is www.rbg.vic.gov.au, and you'll find the application there for volunteering. So it doesn't just uh, mean guides, it means ambassadors, um, it can be um, all sorts of other things, it can be working in the, in the children's garden there. So lots of opportunities. If you're not sure what's involved, well, I certainly recommend you go along to the information session, uh, as I said, 6 o'clock in the Mueller Hall, Tuesday the 20th of October. Now, uh, also, um, <clears throat> we have uh, our good friends out at um, Sustainable Gardening Australia have got their next open garden coming up next Saturday from 10 through to 4 o'clock. And this is uh, a garden that belongs to Terry, and it's at 2 Lily Street in Glen Waverley. Now, Terry is an avid collector and propagator. She has a garden that is a plant lover's delight. The colour and scent of the ornamental flowering plants um, naturally attract bees and other beneficial insects, which uh, help keep Terry's garden sustainable using no synthetic pest control and they also help to pollinate the many fruit trees she has dotted throughout the garden. She's got huge water tanks, um, she's got insectaries, propagating areas, so you can come along and have a look at the, uh, 
the beautiful and biodiverse garden. So that address again is 2 Lily Street in Glen Waverley. Next Saturday, October the 24th, 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock. And um, if you want more details about other upcoming gardens that are opening for Sustainable Gardening Australia, you can go to their website, which is sgaonline.org.au. That's sgaonline.org.au. Now, our very good friends at Open Gardens Victoria... Um, have got two open gardens happening next weekend. So you've actually got a choice of which ones you want to go to or go to both. Now, one which I know will be of interest to a lot of people is Sarah Guest's garden. Now, this is in East Melbourne, number 24, Jolimont Terrace in East Melbourne, 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock on both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend. Entry price is $8 and children under 18 are free. The other garden that is opening up next uh, weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, is at 43 Cardigan Place in Albert Park. Now, this is the Von Bibra Garden. And again, 10 o'clock through till 4.30. Entry price again is $8 with children under 18 free. Now, our, our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have, again, given the 3CR Gardening Show one double pass, free pass, uh, one for uh, Sarah Guest Garden and one for the Von Bibra Garden. So oh, if anyone listening would like a double pass to go to one of those gardens, it'll be whoever rings in first um, on our number, which is 94190155. And uh, we'll just get a few details from you. You have to choose whether you want the double pass to, for Sarah Guest Garden in East Melbourne or for the Von Bibra Garden in Albert Park, um, and though that double pass will be posted out to you if you're the, the lucky person. So that's uh, two double passes free to first people who ring in, one to Sarah Guest Garden in East Melbourne and one to the Von Bibra Garden in Albert Park. That number to ring in again is 94190155. A couple more I should quickly mention because it's springtime, there's so many things happening around town. Um, firstly, next Sunday, the 25th, uh, the Ivanhoe Garden Club um, is having an Ivanhoe Gardening Festa. This is being held at Belfield Community Centre, which is on the corner of Oriel Road and Banksia Street in Ivanhoe. It's free entry. There'll be sales of plants, seeds and seedlings, homemade preserves, crafts and cards, Devonshire tea, sausage sizzle, white elephant, door prizes and a raffle. There'll be talks and demonstrations on building a wicking bed, backyard chooks, home composting made easy, beekeeping, Asian greens, growing and sale of punnets, all about bromeliads, bonsai demonstrations and demonstrations of gardening tools. So that's a Goodness lot. me. All happening on one day, Sunday the 25th of October. There also will be children's activities. Um, they can create a succulent cup and saucer. There'll be a scarecrow competition. So uh, you can build a scarecrow there and that's going to be judged by the mayor. So um, lots and lots of happenings out there next Sunday 25th, that's at Belfield Community Centre, corner of Oriel Road and Banksia Street in Ivanhoe. If you'd like more details, you can contact the secretary, that's Julie, and her number is 94994654. 
0459. Uh, next weekend also sees the 25th anniversary of Open Gardens for the Alexandra and District Open Gardens. Now, this group, um, well, not only have been running for 25 years, but uh, they always have a wonderful array of open gardens, and uh, this year's no exception. They've got 14 country and township gardens to go and have a look at. That'll keep you busy. (laughs) Yes, I'll say. I think you need to stay up there for the weekend to get through them all. I think that's their wicked and evil plan. I'm sure it is. Kidnap you for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But uh, not only have they got those 14 gardens open, they've got plant sales, veggie seedling sales, music, food, and entertainment. So a wonderful weekend up there at Alexandra. Now, um, it's. uh, they all open from 10 a.m. Last entry uh, to each of the gardens is at 4 p.m. Uh, that applies to both days, 24th and 25th. Um, they're all within two hours of Melbourne CBD, so it's easy access from the Hume Highway. And uh, tickets are available at each garden gate or from the Alexandra Visitors Information Centre. And uh, a single garden entry is $5. Entry to all gardens, which includes a garden guide, is $30. So, um, wow. Good value. Oh, great value, I'm, yes. I'm exhausted listening <laughs> to it all. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, it would be an idea to plan your weekend if you're going to go up there. So I do suggest you go to their website because you can download the map of where all the various gardens are. Uh, the website is www.alexandraopengardens.com.au. So that's alexandraopengardens.com.au or you could call into the Visitors Information Centre and you can get maps and details from them. So a uh, wonderful weekend there. Uh, now that's all I have until the following weekend, so I think we might... <laughs> We might move on. Yeah, sounds enough. <laughs> Give yes. listeners a chance, yes. Um, certainly. Um, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. If you'd like to uh, to give us a call, to have a chat or to ask a question, we'd love to hear from you this morning. The number is 94190155. We have Stephen Ryan in the studio, Penny Woodward and Wendy Henderson from the Growing Friends of Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne. So do give us a call. Nine four one nine zero one double five. Now, Penny, you wanted to mention something that's been taking place. Oh, uh, yeah. My um, my sister, who is a committed environmentalist, she and my brother and their partners have bought a property up in northern Victoria, just out of Violet Town. And um, on that property, it's a it's a it's a um, lovely old box forest and grassland property which is the, that sort of forest is quite rare now they have stone curlews there which is really unusual um, but they are rehabilitating the whole oh, the fantastic. whole area so it's got a covenant over it they're doing replanting um, they've been doing that now for three or four years but one of the things that that um, that they've done or Lib in particular has done is set up small pools of water um, that they keep topped up all the time. And there's there's quite a complicated way of doing this to make sure that animals don't get drowned in it mm. and that the water stays fresh and mm. all that sort of thing. Um, but she set up um, motion capture cam- cameras on every single one of these pools of water. And as part of that, they've she has now documented the animals and the birds, and they've found 59 different species of birds that wow. are coming to these Wonderful. to these ponds. 
Um, they've also found things like um, antichinus, mm-hmm. the tiny little marsupial mice. There's a gorgeous, um, and some of these are still photos, and some of these are videos. And there's a gorgeous little video of a hare drinking at one of the ponds, and this antichinus runs around the edge and leaps on the hare's back, and then leaps off again. For <laughs> instance, me. Um, and and the, obviously a show off. <laughs> the remarkable thing about them is that because the as far as the animals and the birds are concerned, there's no people around at all. They are completely fearless. Mm. Yes. So right. that you know, they you see them acting in a way that you would not personally see them because they would know that you're in the vicinity and would be sort of aware or being cautious mm. um, in many cases. So the reason I'm telling you this is because she's put some of this up on their website. Right. So they also, at the same time as having bought this property fairly recently, they also, Lib has a property um, just out of Castlemaine where they grow, they have a seed production area and they grow and sell an, um, indigenous seed species for land care groups or uh, nurseries or individuals to, to buy, and I think I've talked about this before, to buy seed from a particular area known resource um, you know exactly what you're planting there's a lot of rare species amongst that so the the name of their website is victorianativeseed.com.au um, but on the website they've she's now put up this long article with with all these pictures of a lot of the activities that are happening so fortunately she has my son as a resource he's set up the whole website for her and her son who is also into computers but he's edited all the videos so that you you're not watching long periods of nothing but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're only that, seeing that, the highlights that, yeah. the highlights exactly i but, mean if you were having trouble sleeping that that could yeah. be quite useful no. but look things like um there's there's one of an echidna but it's several events of echidnas visiting one of the ponds. But the echidna actually gets into the pond and starts swimming. Mm. So, Goodness. you know, it's just, it, it is absolutely fascinating. And I just think if you've got a spare moment, you need to have a look. She's She also talks about, um, they also have a Facebook page. And on that, she's talked about the cameras that you need because apparently they keep changing and there are different cameras. And there are some, most of them are produced to watch Wildlife, so they're for hunters. Mm-hmm. They come from the US, but there are some that are sensitive enough to really pick up all these little things that are happening. So you need to be careful about if you're thinking about doing it in your own garden, which you can do. Um, you need to be careful about what camera you get. So you can go to the Facebook page and find out more about that. And all the actual videos are also up on the um, oh, mental blank. What's the common um, video site where everyone goes and watches? YouTube. YouTube, yeah. So they're all up on YouTube. So she's you can just go straight to YouTube and, and look at them there too as well. So I just I just think it's really exciting and I think it's, um, it's worth going and having a look if you have any interest in these environmental things and thinking about setting something similar up, mm. particularly if you've got some native bush near you mm. um, because there will be things visiting your garden that are totally unexpected. Mm. So Can you give out the website again, Penny? It's victorianativeseed.com. Dot com dot au. So that's all one word, Victorian native seed, just running into each other, dot com dot au. Okay, excellent. So I just thought people might be interested. That was yes, mm, definitely. That's wonderful. Um, we have had a little mention here that uh, next Saturday is also Preston Garden Club uh, with their show on. This is taking place in the Preston City Hall 
which is on the corner of Gower and High Streets in Preston, running from 2 till 6 next Saturday. Admission is free and there'll be afternoon tea for sale. Also a reminder that those uh, those double passes to the open gardens have gone. So uh, hopefully two, yes, four people in all are going to have a lovely time visiting two wonderful gardens. All right, that number again, if you'd like to join us this morning and give us a call, 94190155. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio, we do have Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward and Wendy Henderson from the Growing Friends of Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. So do give us a call, 94190155. Stephen, let's have a chat about one of your plants. All right. Well, I'd like to talk about tree peonies. And I, and I bought one along this morning, uh, a rather splendid, dark... Love the colour. Dark, dark, ruby red. It's oh, just yes. beautiful. Um, <laughs> tree peonies are one of those groups of plants that people sort of are a bit nervous about. They're not a cheap plant to buy, so I think that's part of the problem. I mean, if you're going to pay 10 bucks for something, you think, oh, well, that's all right, we'll play with it. But if you're going to spend more like $50 for something, then uh, it can you know, lead you to be a little nervous. The reason tree peonies are a little dearer than some other plants is only the fact that they're comparatively complicated and slow to propagate. So that's why you don't see them around the nursery so much, and when you do, they're a little pricier. Having said that, they're worth every effort. Um, there, are, there are two types of peonies, the tree peonies and the herbaceous peonies. Mm. If you're in a frost-free area, do not plant herbaceous peonies. Um, I mean, there's always somebody out there that'll tell you they flower them where there's no frost, but they're the exception, not the rule. Uh, herbaceous peonies need a winter chill if they're going to flower well. The tree peonies, on the other hand, don't need a winter chill, so should be able to be grown all through suburban Melbourne, down along the coast. There's no real reason why we can't grow them almost anywhere. And I always say to people, if you can grow a half-decent cabbage, you should be able to grow a good tree peony because it really likes similar sort of conditions to what you grow vegetables in. It likes an open, sunny aspect, good drainage, a nice, rich soil, plenty of manure and compost and things, and uh, lack of root competition from large trees and shrubs around. So if you work your ground up well... Have a nice sunny sheltered site for them. Um, and in fact, if you've got an old vegetable garden you've decided you're not going to use for veggies anymore, it could in fact be a very good peony bed. Um, the other thing you have to keep in mind when growing tree peonies is that they're comparatively slow in their sort of growth patterns. And I always say to people that they, te- they often sulk the first year and do almost nothing. They get settled in the second year and hopefully in the third year get well underway. Now, occasionally you'll get one that'll hit the ground running and it's off, and that's fine. But it's quite common for peonies to take two to three years to really build up enough oomph to start performing well. So you do have to have a certain sense of patience with them. Uh, But once they are settled in the ground, they're almost indestructible. They're really tough shrubs. They get these big carroty roots that go right down delving into the ground. Um, I've got a big old tree peony in front of my nursery that faces due west. When we had those 45-degree days... Uh, uh, in midsummer a couple of years ago, it got burnt to a frazzle. The foliage just got crisped mm. on this tree peony, and the next spring it had forty-five flowers on it. Wow! You know, so uh, and certainly tree peonies are semi-dormant by midsummer. So if their foliage gets damaged, it doesn't actually matter much. Uh, they're doing all their active stuff through winter, spring and into early summer, then after that they tend to go into a semi-dormancy and, of course, they drop their leaves in the winter so they're more or less fully dormancy, dormant, uh, at least in the early winter, but then their roots start to move it towards the end of winter. So their, their dormancy sort of thing is a bit different to a lot of other plants. They don't require a lot of care and attention. Um, removal of dead, dead flower heads and any dead wood out of the plant is probably about all you have to do. Um, and if you are pruning flowers out... 
if you look down below where the flowers are at the leaves below, you'll normally go three leaves down before you find one that's got a bud behind it. Mm -hmm. So that's the one you cut the flower off to. So you normally go two to three leaves back. And you can see where the buds are in under the leaves. And if there's not one there, well, then it's not going to shoot from that bud. So you've got to go back further. Right. So, and I do that straight after flowering with my tree peonies because the last thing I want them to do is to put energy into trying to produce seed. So unless you try to breed a new tree peony or or have the patience of Job to grow them on from seed because it's a very slow process and there's no guarantee you're going to end up with a plant that's the same as the parent anyway. Mm. Um, there's no point in keeping them uh, ticking along producing seed on them. So I prune them back as soon as they're finished flowering back to where there's a dormant, uh, a dormant bud in against a leaf. If you've got one that's struggling, the only other thing I would say about them is peonies don't mind lime. And it would seem that if you've got a, a tree peony that is struggling a bit and not really getting itself established, a good dose of dolomite lime is quite a good idea. Okay. Keeping in mind, if you've got them near your azaleas and rhododendrons, don't do it. Uh, but um, they're the main practical things. Uh, I do, would, do they have perfumes? There are perfumed ones. This particular one I bought along this morning, this dark, dark red one, is Thunderbolt. And it, it has more of an interesting aroma than a perfume. Uh, but some of them are quite highly scented. Uh, and that's another good reason, if you are interested in scents, that you really should buy them when they're in flower so that you can assess the perfume of any given variety. I have to say, I love them so much for their huge, big flowers that when they are scented, that's lovely, but it's not my prime interest with peonies. And there's a couple of other things I'll say about them. One, they are not peony roses. They're not roses. They don't need rose in their name. Uh, it doesn't make them any more special putting rose in their name. I think peonies <laughs> stand on their own. Um, and if you need to differentiate, you call them tree peonies or herbaceous peonies. You don't need to call them roses. And I don't know where that came from. It seems to only be an Australian thing. You go to Europe or America, they're just called peonies. Um, uh, I've never heard the rose thing used anywhere else. Um, so that's one thing I would say about them. Uh, and secondly, when they say tree peonies, we're not talking about trees. <laughs> we're talking about woody peonies, in a sense, those that keep stems above ground level every winter. And some of them actually don't even grow much taller than about 30 or 40 centimetres tall, and yet you can get tree peonies that oh, get up some to a of couple them of metres. right you know. up there, yes. But they're not, never trees. They're, you know, they are shrubs. So it's, in a sense, a bit of a misnomer, um, but it does help differentiate between the two major groups of peonies. Mm. Um, they are stunningly beautiful plants. They're worth any effort to grow. Um, their foliage is beautiful. Um, and at one time in China, only the emperor was allowed to keep them. They have hugely mythological importance and, uh, and what have you in China. Um, and it's interesting when you see the different breeding lines because the Chinese and Japanese have been breeding them for centuries and they both have quite different um, breeding lines. Uh, the Chinese bred for as many petals as possible, so you ended up with these huge, big, heavy flowers the japanese and unfortunately some of the chinese tree peonies are inclined to droop over they're so heavy because so of the weight, yeah. yeah you've got to virtually get bamboo canes in them and stake them or just pick them and float them in a bowl which is actually quite a nice way to use a peony mm -hmm. flower uh, the japanese wanted big flowers but they wanted light flowers so a lot of their flowers are vastly huge i mean i've got a pink tree peony in the garden at home of the japanese persuasion and the flowers are nearly the size of a soup terrine it's just immense but they like their doubles but the, their doubling wasn't important about how many petals it had so their flowers are much lighter so the japanese tree peonies tend to be more upright in flower but unfortunately a lot of the japanese ones tend to be even harder to propagate than you know they weren't 
bred specifically to be easier to propagate. So right. they didn't care about that side of things. So Japanese tree peonies are often more expensive and even harder to get. Uh, and then, of course, when they went into the Western world, there was sort of the, the French and English breeders and then the American breeders stepped in. And so there's this uh, these different breeding races of peonies around. And Thunderbolt, the one I bought down today, is one of the American clones. Um, they were interested in getting, you know, the, the reds and oranges and, and some of those colours into tree peonies, which weren't quite so common in the Japanese and Chinese ones. Um, there's a lot of whites and pinks and things yes. in, in amongst those. Um, and so there's these interesting different breeding lines involved. And so it can be, you, uh, well, you can spend an awful lot of harmless time researching tree peonies and finding out more about them and, and the different ones that were bred and where they were bred and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I just think they're a wonderful group of plants. And and I every year when my tree peonies arrive from my grower, uh, I tend to order just a big batch and he sends me a mixture. I, you know, I just want as many different varieties as possible. And almost every year I fall for another one, <laughs> at least another one. I've planted actually... Just one? Yeah, well, this year I did put in three and I've put one aside to wait till it flowers just to see what it's actually going to look like because it's one I've never heard of before that was bred in New Zealand, funnily enough, uh, and it's supposed to keep its coppery foliage uh, in fairly good coppery colour while it's in flower mm. and it's meant to be orange in bloom. Okay. And it's a cultivar called Tiger Tiger. So I'm holding that one back to see what it does. It could be I... spectacular. It could be fabulous. It might not be what I want. I don't know. Uh, so I've grabbed one that's got a flower bud on it. I've sat it aside uh, and I'll wait to see it bloom and then I'll make up my mind whether it's one I want to keep or not because uh, I have fallen for it before where the name sounds really good. I thought, oh, I'll plant that one out and it comes out and you think, well, you know what? It's fairly similar to what I've already got. So I, I won't do that anymore unless it's a cultivar I've already grown and I know what it's supposed to look like. Uh, so I'll now wait and see them flower and then plant them out. And the New Zealanders actually are, are sort of the latest group and there's a whole range of new F2 hybrids coming out of New Zealand, um, some of which I've got for sale at the nursery, and I don't even, I've never seen them before. So it'll be really interesting as they flower to see what some of these new clones are like. Yes. So I, I just think they're a wonderful group of plants, and, and people shouldn't be frightened of them. Um, if you're going to kill a tree peony, you'll normally do it in the first six to 12 months. Uh, after that, they are pretty hard to kill. Mm. So they are good garden shrubs. Mm. So there you go, tree So the, this one here in front of us that's yep. in flower, um, will that get much taller or is that about uh, it? Thunderbolt is a medium height one. It will actually eventually get up to about a metre. Okay. Um, and it will sucker from the bottom, so you'll end up yes. with a little bit of a thicket. Um, and, yeah, so about a metre high. Mm. Um, it has... You know, comparatively single flowers. Uh, they sit out nicely. Uh, it is one that is, in, is prone to send secondary flowers up on the same spike, which some peonies do and some don't. So I'll get a second flower on that one that'll come out after this one's finished. So that will carry my show through for a little longer. Mm. Um, so, yeah, all in all, it's a lovely peony. It keeps a little bit of copper in the flowers or in the foliage when the flowers are out, so it's a nice combination. Um, in fact, some tree peonies actually get quite good autumn colour which is something people don't think about. Uh, some of them will go quite pretty shades before they shed their leaves too. Yeah. And although they look dead in the winter, because tree peonies don't keep what looks like green buds on them, so you get these gnarly, um, heavy wooded things in the garden, with age they actually become quite sculptural and uh, mm. not pretty necessarily, but really interesting and gnarly and, and, and sort of old mannish. And, and I, I don't mind an old tree peony in the garden, even in the winter when it's bare. Um, so, yeah, I think they're well worth it. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, now, Penny, we've 
got uh, something rather special in front of us. Um, I'm looking at a copy of Organic Gardener magazine, the ABC's Organic Gardener magazine, and it's gone through a bit of a, a morph. It's, you've got a, a new look, uh, a new feel to it. Um, it's printed on different paper. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about it if they haven't seen a copy. Okay. Well, look, there was a, there was a feeling at the ABC, and I think from a slightly younger demographic, that uh, it needed the the magazine needed to be sort of updated. So um, it's it's being printed on 100% recycled paper. So it it has always been printed on environmentally friendly paper. So it's come from um, from you know trees grown specifically for the purpose, not from yeah. forest yes. you know, cut down yes. trees. But now we're doing it 100% recycled. Um, the ink is environmentally friendly. So you know, the whole the whole works. So it. it um, I think it looks fantastic. The feedback that we're getting, again, particularly from younger people, I showed it to my kids and they just said, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that and means son, it's good. Yes, yes. My son, who knows a bit about you know um, prints and, and style and all that sort of thing, said, yeah, no, that's really good font and all that sort of so the stuff that's important. Right. Um, basically, it, it, the content is the same. So even though it looks as if it might be a bit different, it doesn't quite have the same weight of gardening to environmental issues and all that sort of thing. It actually does. It's just done in a slightly different way. Uh, it took me a while to get used to it, mm-hmm. but having flicked through it a few times now, I've I've really come around to it. I'm I you know I really like it. There's a lot more. There's more space. Um, it's less crowded. The the. The main comment from some older people, including me, is that some of the print is a bit hard to read. So that will be fixed for the mm. next issue. So that is, it's not. This isn't the locked-in well, thing. Uh, You'll it, still it, refine it if you we need. We are. To. We will refine things mm. if there are problems with it. So we've had a huge amount of feedback, and and the vast majority of it has been positive. Oh, it's good. Um, people saying how fantastic it looks and how great it is and all that sort of thing. It was... I, look, I probably shouldn't tell you this, so just keep it amongst yourselves. <laughs> yes, us, okay. for, us four and a yes. whole pile yeah. of listeners. We yes. won't say um, anything. Um, Peter Cundall looked at it and said, oh, it just looks like a 1950s women's weekly. <laughs> Is that Actually, good or bad? You know what? Is that good or bad? Well, for him, it's not good. Oh. But the thing is that most people wouldn't know what a 1950s no. women's <laughs> weekly looks True. like. Well, um, I, I might have seen one, but I would have been, well, in the late 50s, I would have been under way, five. That's, yeah. the whole, that's the whole vibe that the designers have been trying to capture. It's a sort of a retro yeah. yes. look to yes, it. Yes, it does so, look a bit retro, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. And, and what the front cover is actually of a young female farmer and... Um, Lots of people have said it's so nice to see a real person on the cover mm. instead of a celebrity. Mm. So yes. that's been really nice feedback as well. So you know, it's and and look, it's full of it's full of interesting articles. One about natural beekeeping, which mm. I think is something that lots of people are interested in now. How to grow pineapples? Some of the unusual Solanaceae plants. So things like Cape. Gooseberry and pepino and naranjilla and which I think I you know I grow pepino and I mm. think it's a great a great plant in the garden and another one on radishes which looks at a whole range of different radishes and you know the, it's it's the usual I yeah, think, meaty articles meaty yeah. articles yes. um, a, a magazine for intelligent gardeners um, but it just has a different look to it. 
Now, you've still got the same contributors, but you've also added in a couple of new contributors. Yes. Yeah, look, they, they, as part of um, the whole thing of trying to appeal to a wider demographic, um, they're bringing in, again, some, some new writers and writers with a slightly different perspective or particularly some um, with a bit more um, of the sort of the food knowledge rather than the strictly gardening knowledge. So yes. they're looking at people who, who cover the gardening and the food side of it so that they can talk about nutritional aspects yeah. of Well, it's always good to grow stuff, but it's it's actually quite useful to know how to use it at the end yeah, of the day indeed. too, well, isn't exactly. it? Indeed. Yeah, so yes, yes the so cooking side of yeah, things is important. We've always, we've always had that mm. um, with some recipes and things mm. um, and particular plants that are being harvested. Um, but just doing that a bit more now. And, and uh, I've got an article in here about uh, attracting beneficial insects into the garden, but from the next issue, Dennis Crawford is taking over that oh, one. Okay. So we're going to be having, and there's a particularly beautiful photograph here of a common crow butterfly. So we're, we'll be able to, some of his photos are going to be in there as yeah, well as his really yeah, in-depth de- in knowledge. Which Penny, is I have to say I'm very impressed. There's a, a recipe for rhubarb schnapps in there yes. as well. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty yeah, good too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so that my, my eyes sort yeah. of uh, went straight to it as I flicked through the magazine. I thought, my rhubarb, it could be taking yes. on a new life. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I think one of the things that we're discovering in um, you know, when you start talking to people about gardening is uh, is the some of the agriculture that's happening and small-scale agriculture, and that's what one of the articles is about, is, is young people getting onto the land, growing food and marketing it in interesting ways. So, And that's happening all over Australia mm. in, in mm. pockets. And, and I think we're starting to tap into that a little bit as well. So it's all about community and, um, yeah. There's actually a quiet revolution happening mm. in the farming communities mm. because, because, as you say, young people are, are, are going on the land, but they're, they're looking at how they're preparing their soils. They're looking at... At yeah. a much more um, organic way of growing mm. uh, fruit and yeah. vegetables, and and I think this is a general trend. This is what young people are wanting. They want to know, firstly, where their food has come from, and that it has been grown, um, you know, organically in an environmentally friendly way. Yeah. And and these young people are doing some wonderful things. Yep. And that's again, I think, something that we will keep, you know, touching on as we. As the you know, as the magazine, no, it just changes track slightly, but yes. it's it's still pretty much the same. Excellent, the same magazine. Now so. I presume it's already out in it news is. agents. It was, it was released two weeks ago. Okay, so at the beginning of this month, yeah. And of course, people can either pick up a copy or they can actually subscribe yeah, to the look, magazine. If you subscribe, and I'm pretty sure it's the I've got to just check, but I'm pretty sure it's the current subscription. If you subscribe at the moment, you get the beautiful calendar. Oh, right. So, um, yeah, that as a as a free gift. So, and it's a particularly nice calendar for next year. So, how often does it come out? It Ken? comes out seven times a year, which right. seems silly, but um, it used to come out six times a year, so every two months. And then a bright spark in the in the marketing area thought, what? Let's have another magazine in September. So it comes out. <laughs> Every two months except for spring where you get one in September, one in October. Okay. So, yeah, so seven a year. And, of course, um, the magazine is also available online. It is. You can get digital copies through the Zinio platform or through iTunes now. So, And I think there might be another one as well. But if you, if you go onto the Organic Gardener website, which is also worth checking out from time to time because we write 
articles just for the website oh, yeah. quite often. So there's quite a lot of information on the website, lots of stuff if you if you do a search. Mm. Um, so the website is organicgardener.com.au. Nice and easy. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, Organic Gardener magazine have been incredibly generous uh, with us this morning. We actually have 10 copies of this New Look magazine to give away totally free. What uh, you do need to do, though, we cannot um, post them out to you. You do need to collect them from 3CR. Um, I will be giving them to office staff so that they will be available during the week, during office hours. But if you ring in this morning, um, we can pop your name on the list and make sure that there's a copy waiting here for you. Or if you want to pop down this morning while we're on air, you can come along to 21 Mm. Smith Street in Fitzroy, just up from Victoria Parade, um, and uh, pop into the studios and you can pick up your copy. But um, do give us a call so that we can we can pop your name down on the list. We have 10 copies. Once those 10 people have phoned in, they're all gone. So the number to call in on is 94190155. If the line's engaged, do, uh, do try again. We do have a few lines there, but uh, just be patient. But that number, if you'd like a copy of the new look, um, ABC Organic Gardener magazine. Give us a call nine four one nine zero one double five. We'll go to. Uh, we have a few callers we need to get to. We'll go to Marie, who's out in Berry. Good morning, Marie. Oh, good morning. Yeah, look, I've had some issues growing tomatoes. I live in Berwick. When we get a lot of hot days, our backyard actually cracks. You know, we get like two centimetre cracks. So the soil's ordinary. I've tried before using. Um, some organic matter from I've got a fish pond thinking that that would be great for my tomatoes but they end up just sad looking and small so I went out and bought some and they're called tomato pot tomatoes by Floriana so I was wanting to know how many I could fit in one pot I've got a couple of 40 centimeter pots I want to know the potting mix I should use how often I should water and how many would go in one pot Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few issues there. Yeah, look, yes. I would say only one to a pot. Yes, yeah. so would uh, I. Because tomatoes need a, a lot of soil to grow well and grow properly yeah. and produce productively. <clears throat> you need to buy a really top quality potting mix. Don't go for one of the cheap ones. I would actually recommend the Debco um the one that's actually organic one that's actually designed for plants in pots. Um and I would add a bit of coir at, mm. into your into any potting mix because you need to retain a bit more water in yeah, the pot. Tomatoes they, don't like to get dry they when really, that summer yeah, comes. They and don't do like that. to dry out. And in and, pots, mm. yeah. And I would also um, mulch the top of the pot. Mm. So uh, you and you do need to feed them regularly. And I would be using something like um, a fish. Uh, fertiliser yep. that you do once every couple of weeks. You just water the pot with that. If you've got worms, use your worm juice. If you make compost tea, use compost tea. Um, and that all helps to keep the soil healthy, keep some microbes growing it in it. And the other thing I would do would be to protect them from the late afternoon sun. Yeah, in pots, um, they warm so, up too yeah, much. They get they? too yeah. hot um, and th- they will just dry out. So you need to put them somewhere where they get lots of morning sun, even midday sun, but get a bit of shade in the late, in the afternoon. Okay. Can I ask one more question? Sure. sure. 
I've got some olives that I've had in pots for about four or five years and they look really healthy and they get these little round flower bud type things but then that's all they do. I'm wondering how long is it before you get olives and I've got about six or seven of them and apart from the fact that they haven't really produced any fruit they look quite healthy. Okay, um, you should be getting olives on them. You, yeah, by I, now. Yeah, mm. and well, I've I, the, my olive trees. I got them on the first year. Oh, really? Um, uh, have you been pruning them off, pruning the oh, trees at all? No. no? Not, so no, you I haven't been rem- removing the fruit. No. Um, okay. Um, look, I, my guess. Yeah, they should be getting olives. Yeah. I don't. Do we know which variety you bought? No, I don't. But look, I've I've had them in the same pots and they're tall, narrow pots. So I'm wondering whether they're just not getting enough nutrients. Maybe I need to repot them. Can you put them in the ground? I possibly could. I thought I really like the decorative. I've got them around near where we have our barbecue, so I right. sort of like the effect of having them there. Okay. But look, I do want fruit, so look, I think what, that's probably what I'm going to have to do. They but will always be better in the ground terrible. long term. Yeah, but look, they should be fruiting in the pot. The only other thing I can think of is that they're not getting enough water, so that mm. the flowers are atrophying instead of pro- yeah, producing fruit because mm. it won't be pollination. Um, you know, they 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 produce fruit re- pretty readily, but mm. they do like plenty of water when they're in the flowering to fruiting stage. Oh, look, that could be it, because where they are, they're in an area where they get a fair bit of afternoon sun, so I yeah. might just need to and, keep and look, the water And if up they've been them. in the same pots for quite a few years, the water may actually not be getting into the potting mix properly. It may be just running down the sides of the pots. So inside, but down the sides. Yeah. Okay, and thank that you. You've been most helpful. Okay. Bye. 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 Well, next up online we have Gwen Elliott. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, everyone. Um, you've probably seen on the screen there I've rung in to talk about red mustard or to mention um, we're getting a, a lot of pleasure from this plant in our garden at the moment. Is it one that you're familiar with, Penny? Or? Uh, look, there's quite a few different red mustards. Are you talking about the one that is um, quite um, finely divided or what, the one with the great big leaves? The one with the great big leaves. Yeah. I think sometimes it's called Japanese giant red mustard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a fabulous plant. Oh, we were given a plant a couple of years ago by a friend who had no idea what it was. They were just coming up in his garden, um, <clears throat> pardon me, in his veggie garden and I imagine he'd had a plant previously that had seeded. And so she said, oh, look, here you are, take one. So we did, and we grew it, and we collected the seed. And But uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, the leaves are great big leaves that up to about 45 centimetres, 18 inches long, and a, a lovely rosette and a deep red colour. And so it's very ornamental, but, uh, you know, if you put a bit in your mouth fresh or use it in a salad it's got a real bite a bite to the extent that some people who we've given it to don't enjoy it but you know once you put it into a stir fry or something and only cook it for a, a minute or two it loses that bite unfortunately so but it's a lovely ornamental plant and we eat it you know regularly one plant you know goes a long way you just break off a leaf at a time 
Yeah, look, it's a it's a great plant and it, it grows easily. And as you say, it actually self-sows. So that I have one, I have a form of red mustard called ruby streaks, uh-huh. um, which has a really deeply divided leaf and, and is not quite such a big plant, but it has the same really hot mm. peppery taste. And I just use it constantly. It's it the it's my go. Every time I'm making a salad, I go out there and because it's already deeply divided, you don't really have to chop it up. You just sort of rip it apart and throw it in yeah. and... You get these morsels of peppery hotness, and if you mix it with like a coslet, it's that combination yeah. of the pepperiness and a bit of rocket, yep. which is a different pepperiness. Yeah, it is really, really nice. It's a great, great salad ingredient. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll look out for the finely divided one. Gwen, while you're there, um, we've been talking, of course, about uh, the plant sale at uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne, but yes. of course there's one also down at Cranbourne next weekend, isn't there? Yes, they've both got their spring sales on, on the same weekend, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's the time of year in between the end of school holidays and cup weekends, you know. It's like between Easter and um, other things, everything, you know, goes into a few weeks. But now down at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens next Saturday and Sunday, uh, there's also the, the growing French plant sale down there. Uh, again, between it's ten to four both days there. Right. And of course, down at Cranbourne, all the plants are just the Australian native plants. But you know, once again, lots in flower. The plants are looking good. Um, we've got a smaller nursery area down at Cranbourne, and so uh, to grow lots of plants, we grow most of them in small pots. Mm. So you can buy plants, heaps of them, for two dollars, three dollars, four dollars each. Uh, we don't have a credit card facility where we are, so you need to bring cash or a checkbook. But um, yeah, that's next weekend. We'll be down there both days, and in addition to the volunteers who are members of the Growing Friends, each sale we have a number of people who come in who are very experienced growers in particular areas. I don't like the word experts, but yeah, we've got a team of experts who come down just to chat to people too. So, you know, if you've got any gardening native plant queries, come on down, even if you only want one plant, you know, come down and have a chat. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, enjoying the program. Thanks, Gwen. Bye. Bye. I, um, Pam, I offered a cheque to someone the other day for something that I was buying. It was at a market and they, their um, machine wasn't working. Oh, right. And this young man looked at me and said, what's a cheque? <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for that to happen. Yes, uh, You don't see them so much no, now. I've don't. got the occasional customer that still... Yeah, but just to have to someone who check, who hadn't didn't even know what it was. Yeah. I mean, it's so out of this. And sphere, I might add, it's, it is a nice backup position if, in yeah. fact, your FPOS machine is yeah. down for whatever reason, Indeed. which I, can happen. It quite does. It readily, happened to me yeah. yesterday. I, I took three or four FPOS um, payments during the day, and my last sale for the day, uh, the machine told me that the thing was down. I couldn't mm. process the card, but I've still got my old click clack machine. Yep. You know, the old mm. hand swipe machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I asked if it was all right if I ran it through that. So it means I've got to make a trip to the bank with the payment at some stage. But, you know, at That's least I got right. their money. Yes. So, yeah. And I'm perfectly happy to accept checks. I find gardeners uh, generally pretty honest sort of people. Yeah. And uh, yep. I don't remember 
the last time if I've ever had a check bounce on me from a, a gardener. So mm. there you go. Mm. Well, nice at our, people. Sorry, at our sale we do have FPOS. And yeah, so just bring plastic and you can buy as much as you like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I but just you will your accept cash as well. Oh, absolutely. Down. We accept almost anything. But yes. yes, it's a lot of gardeners don't actually have money on them when they come in. So, yes. And we get quite a few people that are just wandering around the gardens and see that there's actually a sale on and they come in and have a look and end up buying a lot. But they often don't haven't got their money. Well, they them. weren't expecting no. a plant sale to no. be on. Yes. No, that's right. So, yeah. yes, we, we accept almost anything. Right. Mm. Second mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> Wendy, you say that uh, you're sort of in charge of the, the perennial section. Not really. I'm not, not really. in charge. No, no I'm just one of the well, soldiers. you're involved with I'm it. involved, yes. yes and yes, I yes. presume that means you've been helping to propagate Absolutely. some of the perennials. Yes, yes. yes. Go through some of, of, of what you have in that section for in, listeners. In the perennials? Yes. Okay. Well, it seems to me these days that tough and... Um, drought tolerant is is the thing is the way to go for a lot of us because water prices are going up like crazy. So we are, um, although we have really pretty little woodland um, moisture loving, shade loving plants, we also have really tough ones. Uh, now some of these are the Flomus, which are, are usually yellow flowered, but we have a sort of a pinky mauve variety as well, and they are so tough. They've got these little I don't know, how would you describe it, Stephen? These flowers that are sort of... Claw-like. Yes, claw-like in, in, and surround the stem. So, um, But they are really, really pretty. And the butterflies actually love them. Uh, butterflies love anything yellow, it seems to me. Uh, so we've got quite a few varieties of those. And recently the Botanic Gardens gave us um, an Achillea, or Achillea, Achillea, uh, Tejetia, which uh, is a type of um, milfoil or milfolium. Uh, not milfolium, it's the Achillea. Uh, and this variety is not uh, invasive. Uh, right. Some of them really can yes, get away can from. Yep, yep. So this one isn't. It's it's uh, fabulous. It's got beautiful grey foliage and has pale yellow flowers. And we have um, armarias as well. Quite a few. And for people who don't know what that is, that's a thrift in the old language. Uh, we have ones with pink flowers, white flowers, darker pink flowers, and one with reddish dark leaves, which is really oh. really pretty. And they're as tough as anything, and they're great for putting along pathways and things like that because they're quite small. And we also have salvias, Lucille's salvias. She just loves her salvias and we've got a really good variety of those. So all of, And they generally come from sort of the Mexican area, so they're as tough as as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have the, um, the dappled shade for people who have that. Um, we have the Romania or Chinese foxglove, which is flowering at the moment and it's just glorious. And also a sweet little, um, it's it's called a, a eucarella, but it's a cross eucarella, and it's Bridget Bloom, and that's got pink, pink little dainty flowers on this, um, above the foliage on these fine stems. We also have um, tropiolum or, or nasturtium, but it's Empress of India, which tends to last longer. The others are the normal ones that tend to be annuals, but this one is perennial and uh, it doesn't like the full sun. So it's for a shady area and it's got these jewel-like dark, dark red flowers with dark foliage, which is 
It's just, a lovely nostalgia. It is. Yeah, it yeah. is I used to grow it regularly. I, you know, I had it in the garden, but I haven't got it at the moment. So No, it can be a yeah. bit fussy about where it grows, mm. but I've worked out. I just assumed when I bought it that it would be like all other you know, nasturtiums, mm. but it isn't. So I put it in the heat and it shriveled and that was the end of that. So a, a bit of shade it would like. But also we have a lot of epimediums. I don't know if there's a common name for epimedium. Yeah, barren wart. No, really? Yes, oh, barren wart. that's a wart. terrible name they for used it. To, they used to use it for certain ladies' issues. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. For infertility? And apparently in China it's used a lot for uh, almost the opposite. I think it's yet another aphrodisiac. Uh, oh, no. And, uh, yeah, so barren wart. That's why epimedium is probably a good name to yes. stick with. <laughs> stick with it. Yeah. Let's stick with yeah. the epimedium. There are other common names, but barren wart apparently is the most... Uh, commonly used common name for that group oh, of plants. Okay. So okay. you stick with epimedium. <laughs> yes, epimedium. So we've got a lot of different colours and different types. Um, there's eight different varieties we have, and they're my faves, I must say. Mm. But uh, yeah, they're they're very very pretty, and that we've got we've got purple ones. We've got um, Epsteinii, which is white and brown striped, which is just extraordinary. And yellows, oranges, pinks, whites, and the other thing is this is my baby. Are the hostas? All oh, right. Yes, and they are absolutely glorious. They're better this year than they've ever been, and I think it's because of the early warmth we've had. The the, the hot weather hasn't upset them, mind you. They're under an automatic watering system, so that helps. But they they're ones that are often slow to pop up for this sale, which drives me mad because they pop up pop up yeah, after the, week the after. sale. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, the ones that are doing that are actually coming up for the sale this time. So we've got a huge variety of them in all colours, all leaf shapes and different flower colours and things Fantastic. like that. Fantastic. Yep. yep, excellent. And, Wendy, you yes. always, each year at the sale, I know you have um, people on hand who can give advice if someone doesn't know which which one to buy or doesn't know if it needs to be out in the hot sun or under shade or... Absolutely, absolutely. So for each section, we have people who have propagated them themselves, so they know them personally. Yes. And and we get very passionate about it. Uh, Last Friday when I was in and asking the the members of each section which plants they thought were the best and were looking really good and would like to have mentioned today, I was just really struck by how much they knew about all of these plants. And um, how much information they had and how passionate they were about it. It was just, it surprises me because you go in every Friday and you don't sort of have that interaction with people really because you're all just working like crazy. But these people really know what they're talking about. And they'll say if it's, if, if you um, give people, give us um, as much information as you can about where you're wanting to plant something, we'll tell you, you know, no, that's not really, you know, I know you love this, but it's not actually going to, you know, suit that set, that area. So we do give completely dispassionate advice about stuff and we might tell you things you don't want to know, but it's really important that our, our customers yes, know, uh, have plants that succeed and every year or every six months we have people coming back and saying, oh, remember me? And, you know, it's a bit hard to remember specific yes, people, but remember <laughs> me, um, uh, you sold me, blah, 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 blah. And I think, oh, dear, yes, I remember that. And and they say, they're just doing so well and thank oh, you wonderful. so much. So, yeah, so yeah. we get a lot of positive feedback. Excellent. That's fantastic. Okay. 
Well, we're going next to Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, everybody. Everybody, good morning. Have a lovely day. Good morning, Good morning, yes. Hugh. Yeah, good morning, Victoria. <laughs> I have... Uh, <clears throat> I got about four items on my list, so Pam can cut me off whenever I have too much. Well, try and be quick, Hugh, okay? I'll make it very quick. Now, the first one, I, I give the what I want to now, and then you answer the way you feel like it. First, I want to give accolades to, to um, congratulations to uh, S- S- Stephen, because remember we were talking about my jacaranda over two meters tall? Yes, I remember that, Hugh. Yes, I moved it to a very hot spot. It was a big, big problem to move that big <laughs> pot, a big plant around corners, etc. Et and it is shooting. Good. It's only having sort of 25, 30 millimeter shoes, three centimeters, two and a half inches, two, uh, one and a half inches, something like that. But it is shooting. Good. The other one question would be on three peonies you were talking. Uh, I've been reading them yesterday. I've got about 20 of them or maybe more. And they were in dry soil. And I've been reading them and I want to water them and et, et cetera, et, et cetera. Shall I fertilize them? Then shall I lime them? And then, um, I think it was Martin Ferrura, he said, you've got to give so much lime that you have a pH of, of 7 and 8. My, 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 my meter in the, uh, the needle in my pH meter would bend <laughs> if it has to go now, to 7 Hugh, or 8. with your peonies, um, what I need to know is two things. Are they growing in the ground or in pots? In all in pots. All right, so they're in pots. Uh, and um, are they looking all right? Are they growing all right? Yeah, they're growing beautifully. All right. Well, I wouldn't be over-liming them. If uh, I only use the lime myself if I've got one that for some reason or another seems to be struggling. If the peonies are growing all right and if you're managing to get a few flowers, and I might add I'm not fond of them long-term in pots. I much prefer them in the ground. But if they're doing their thing, don't give them an excess of lime. Um, I mean, I know Martin talks about lime in large quantities and one of my growers that I buy tree peonies from up in the Dandenong says the same thing. But I've got tree peonies in the garden at the nursery with a pH of around about 5.5 to 6. Uh, They're two metres tall. They get flowers all over them every year. They're never fed, they're never watered and they're never limed. And and Mark Ferruga laughed his head off when I said mine are at seven. Mm. And then, and then there is a question on garden lime or dolomite, and um, I have heard garden lime is better. Yeah, I, look, I don't know. I, I personally don't use a lot of lime, so I, do, I don't have a huge amount of experience of trying the different varieties. Certainly, the grower I buy peonies from he recommends dolomite, but um, I don't yeah. know whether he's experimented with the other. So I don't know how you can recommend something other than, you know, you've had success with it. But if you don't do clinical trials to see which is better, um, you can't really know. And so I don't know with that one, Hugh, I have to say. Yeah, but I have to hurry up because... Uh, yeah, you're, yes, you before, need to get before, through all four questions, Hugh. So before Pam, press dump button. Now, there, <laughs> there, is, there is this this character Michael McCoy and he was on the ABC Um. yesterday and 22 minutes to 10 not even half an hour garden program and Michael was trying to talk about a gymnia lily and I'm spreading my ears and I said gymnia lily never heard of never heard of and of course in other people were ringing up and so on and so forth and he couldn't develop that idea anymore 
So it is Michael McCoy from the Botanic Garden. Three cheers for him. He spoke about the Gimne lily, and I never ever heard anything about it. And and I think he said it grows four, five, six meters tall.
your pantyhose as she said, I beg your pardon? <laughs> Hugh, you can get into trouble asking for a lady's pantyhose. <laughs> but I thought I'd put pantyhoses over so I'd keep them. But the problem is, is the same as with camellia seeds. I never know when to pick them because you're supposed to pick them when they split and I always miss it. I wouldn't so, wait till they split. Once they've got full, once they're fully ripe and coloured, so when they're bright yellow or bright orangey red, I would pick them and sow them straight away. Do they come true to seed? Do they? they? They can come true to seed, but I don't rely on it. And especially if you've got several different varieties growing near each other, you're very likely to get cross-pollination. So uh, what you end up with from the seedlings is is anybody's guess sometimes. Uh, although being that group of plants that you'll get nothing other than yellow through dark to dark orange. I mean, they haven't got the blue one yet or anything like that. Uh, so it'll be somewhere in the normal colour range of the genus. But uh, I would sow them straight away. And they don't have, they're not one of those seeds that you should dry out anyway. Right, now, okay, I, I will forget my three peonies. I'm going to pick them. Yeah, just pick the seeds. If and they're, if they're fully formed and brightly coloured, you can pick them. And okay, I pick them and then I put them in what? Into, a, say, a five-inch pot with seed raising mix on the top or what? I would get a polystyrene box and I would um, put... Uh, you know, in the old measurements, three or four inches of uh, of good quality potting mix in the po- in the polystyrene box. I would row my seeds out and then just cover them. Cover with what? Well, with the same stuff, with the same same potting mix. So I don't use. Still, I would so that the yas so that the yas can be seen or no no they bury them. How much? Oh, half the diameter of the seed. Half the diameter of the seed. Bury them. Yeah, yeah, and, and then just it, keep them moist. And keep them moist and in the shade? Oh, yes, yes. Don't put them out in the sun. Even though they're not above ground level, you don't want to give them too much heat. Um, And if they're sown fresh, they should germinate comparatively quickly. Okay. So certainly don't store your seed, Hugh. I try. Now, I'm not prepared for for the address. I go... I know where the botanic gardens are, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, that's where I met Kevin Hines that was, what, in the early 1950s or the mid-1950s when Kevin Hines was just a gardener. Mm-hmm. Now, I know where the herbarium is mm-hmm. because the royal used to have their meetings there. Yeah. Now, apart from that, any other gate is a mystery to me. Well, now, if you're standing in front of the herbarium looking at the front door, yes. turn right. And just keep walking along Birdwood Avenue. Uh, and it's not the gate against the herbarium, but it's the next gate along. Oh, hang is... on, hang on. I don't enter the botanic garden at the herbarium. No. I no. walk along the fence on the outside. On the yes. outside to the next gate, which is E-gate, and that's where the plant sale will be inside. Actually, there is a gate in between E and F. Uh, it's a sort of a tradesman's entrance. It's, it's the entrance to the nurseries. So, But it's not. It won't be open on the weekend, so go past that gate and onto E gate, and there'll be. We've got sandwich boards all through the gardens, so with with arrows pointing everywhere. So it'll be pretty obvious to anyone, and you can go in to the herbarium, go through the gate, and then hang a, a right straight away um, along the rainforest. Um, garden there and then you'll see all the tents and the pavilions and whatnot there it's it's very easy to find but if you're coming from further down there'll be sandwich boards there everywhere we've we've got signs everywhere it'll be quite easy to find you that is on a saturday saturday and sunday at what time in the morning Uh, from 10 in the morning for both days and we shut up shop on a saturday at four and on sunday at three 
but I don't have a car. I only have a truck. Um, how how do I? Is there good parking? Yeah, or? just park in Birdwood Avenue, Hugh. I should find a spot. You'll find a spot. So park near the herbarium. Just walk up on the outside until you find gate E. Just past the herbarium. It should be easy. Free parking. Okay. And, and there'll be someone there to help you actually bring your plants back to your truck. Beautiful. I'll okay. be there with my checkbook. Excellent. Right, See you then, you. See ya. Bye. Bye. I got through all my things without pressing the dump button. Okay, we're going now. Bye. Okay, uh, we're moving on next to uh, Bernie, who's in Langwarren. Good morning, Bernie. (laughs) Pardon me, sorry about that. Um, Yeah, I'll just ask three quick questions, I hope. Um, A potato vine, is it a uh, native? No. It's not, so I can take um, sulfate of potash. Next. Sorry, yes. what was that? Yeah. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, can you? Because I, I put a little bit on a young plant I've got, and it looked a bit sick, so I just wondered. No, it, it shouldn't do it any harm if it's in small quantities. Okay, thanks very much. And um, old blooms of roses, when they fade, should I cut them off or leave them? No, you should deadhead your roses because that encourages it to set more flowers. So yeah, they've still got the flower, but like when the hot sun gets on them, they fade. Yes, yeah. so and cut them yeah, off. Yeah, cut them off. If they don't, attra- if they don't look attractive, they don't need to be there anymore. Okay, thanks very much again. And geraniums, particularly the black-leafed ones, when's the best time to give them a good haircut? In the late autumn, early winter. Late autumn. So I wouldn't do it now. Well, I wouldn't have thought so. Well, see, it... they get a bit leggy, you know what I mean? Um... Now, hold on. We could be talking about two different plants here. You're talking about the shrubby ones that um, have heads of flowers on them. Uh, just a small flower. Individual flowers or heads of flowers? Oh, no, like individual. I'd yeah, know. so you're probably talking about the true geranium species. Mm. This, this is the problem. A lot of people call... A group of pelagoniums, geraniums, which are the old-fashioned things that used to grow in window boxes with bright red flowers and things, yeah. and they're actually pelagoniums. And so, of course, when somebody says geranium, you've got to make sure that whether you're talking about true geraniums, which are herbaceous perennially type plants, in which case they get cut back in the autumn, early winter, uh, when they're starting to look scruffy, or whether we're talking about the shrubby ones, which are actually pelagoniums, and they need to be pruned when the weather's warmer. Okay, so I could do that now, basically. Well, if it's the shrubby ones, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. All right. Uh, bye. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, I always come unstuck with this geranium yeah. thing. It, yeah. You start thinking about the species geraniums, and then, of course, people are often talking about pelagoniums. So. We've, we've actually got an article coming up in the next issue of Organic Gardener that Karen Sutherland has, oh, yes. has written about the true geraniums. Oh, so, yeah. And it Excellent. explains at the beginning the difference between Good. The yes. Well, so. we do need that. Yeah. We need to get away from calling what are pelagoniums mm. geraniums, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. No, no probably no. not. It's like azaleas are really rhododendrons, but who's yeah. going to ever call them that? Yeah. You are tuned to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio this morning we have Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward and Wendy Henderson from the Growing Friends Group. And uh, we're running through to our normal time slot, which means we'll finish at 9.15. If you'd like to jump on board and ask a gardening question while there's still time, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We should also mention quickly that, uh, of course, the month of October is uh, when Gardevalia takes place, which is a festival of gardens. Um, it features open gardens, garden events, workshops, 
runs right through October. It has a very, very extensive uh, program. Uh, so it all takes place down in Gippsland. If you'd like to find out more to, uh, to wander down there over the weekend or even during the week uh, for some of the events, uh, go to their website. It's the easiest way to find out which is www.gardevalia, that's spelled G-A-R-D-I-V-A-L-I-A, gardevalia.com.au. So gardevalia.com.au. Or if you, uh, if you would like to be able to find someone to find out a bit more information, you can phone Kathy and her number is 56231592. That's 56231592. Nine two, Stephen. Let's get to your other plant. We oh, haven't yes. touched on it yet. Yes, this is a little shrub from Chile. Uh, it's evergreen. Uh, it has sort of tiny little sort of um, heavily sort of cut foliage on it, so it gives a sort of almost a slightly ferny look to the plant. Um, and when it's in flower, which it does at this time of the year, it has flowers that look like little open mouths with a yellow tongue and lots of purple freckles inside. Um, and it's a thing called Jovalana violacea. Um, it's scrofularaceous, if that means anything to anybody. Yeah. Um, so Doesn't sound good. But... No, it does well. <laughs> well. You do know that scrofularia, the genus that the family was named after, was named as such because it had knobbly things on the roots that looked like a scrofulous tumour. So mm. that, that's, in fact, where the scrofularia name comes from. Very unfortunate, but there you go. Mm. Uh, Jovalana has nothing whatsoever to do with scrofulous tumours. Uh, it's a soft-wooded shrub. It has a sort of a habit, a bit like a fuchsia. And, in fact, it likes similar conditions to a fuchsia. It could, in fact, be a replacement for a fuchsia. So uh, it will grow up to about a metre, metre and a half. You cut it back really hard every couple of years to bring up nice fresh growth on it again. Um, and it flowers through the late spring into the early summer. And it is as cute as a button with these gorgeous little mauve flowers with the purple spots and a yellow tongue. Uh, it intrigues children because the flowers are sort of almost animalistic. Um, and it's an easy little plant to grow. It's not hard to propagate. It suckers slightly from the bottom, so you can actually get freebies by lifting rooted suckers from the base of the plant. Uh, but I find it strikes from cuttings comparatively easily as well. And it's a very small genus, I think consisting of two species, this one from Chile and another one called Sinclairii that I think comes from New Zealand. Uh, and I haven't been able to source yet. Uh, I've seen it in flower in New Zealand, but I don't know whether it's available here in Australia at all. Uh, but it's just one of those cute, odd, interesting little plants that you could perhaps use instead of a common, well-known one just to give the garden a little bit more diversity mm. and interest. Mm. So it's, it's very, it's delicate and it's dainty and it, mm. and it sort of has these long arches that it's sort of fairy-like. It's, yeah. it's really It's very sweet. pretty and I always get comments on it when it's in flower in the nursery. Everybody asks about it. So it's a great little conversation piece shrub um, and I don't quite understand why it hasn't actually taken off in commercial nurseries because it's comparatively quick growing. In fact, it's very quick growing. Uh, it's as easy as a fuchsia to strike from cuttings and it will flower really well in a six-inch pot. Mm. Um, Steve, you said it likes the same conditions as fuchsia, yeah. which means it's sort of shady. Coolish, shady, not, not too yeah. dry. Uh, so it, it's not drought tolerant? because it, it actually looks as if it could be because no, the leaves not. are quite... Um, no, yeah. it, it probably it probably will cope with dryness fractionally better than a fuchsia, but only okay. just. So if, you, if you're growing a good fuchsia in the garden, there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't grow jovalana. 
and yeah. I think it's a charming little plant. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'd like to see more people using it because I just think it's such an interesting shrub uh, and something a little bit offbeat that you don't see around. For listeners, could you spell it, Stephen? Uh, yes, I will. Uh, I'll pull the label out, which nobody saw me do, uh, just to make sure I get the spelling right. It's J-O-V-E-L-L-A-N-A. So Jovalana and Violacea, meaning violet flowered. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. the, the name denotes what colour it is. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think it's charming. Excellent. Good little plant. Yep, yep. That number, again, if you'd like to join us before uh, the end of the program, which uh, we've only got about 14 more minutes to go, so uh, if you'd like to ask a gardening question, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Penny, what are you concentrating on in the garden at the moment? Oh, look, I'm still catching up. I'm always catching up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what gardeners do, yeah, isn't I know. it? <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, I'm, I'm still I'm feeding and mulching. So I've, I've, the worm farm needed a big clean-out, so I've got a whole lot of really good worm poo and I'm going around mm. and I'm wetting the soil under some of my small fruit trees and, and in some of the beds um, and adding some worm poo and then I'm adding some sheep poo. Um, which is not high in nutrients, so it's as much for the organic matter as, as you know that sort of thing. And then I'm mulching over the top. So I'm 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 I should have done this a month ago with the hot weather that we've had, but <laughs> yeah. it's better well, we to do it now than it's hot. better not, to do it yeah. now yeah. than not do it at all. So yeah. that's been my main my main and still weeding. I'm still catching up with yeah. weeding. Well, aren't we all? Yes. Yeah, I keep yeah. looking around the garden and seeing yet another cleavers yes. sort of oh. coming up through the middle yeah. of a bush. Well, look, I, I actually really like cleavers. Mm. I know that you don't from the I saw you thing, yeah. <laughs> because my chooks adore it. Yeah. So and I'm always looking for things to, to give to the chooks. Mm. So I both Does that mean you thistles. encourage it in the garden? Well, I don't encourage it, but I don't get angry with it the way I do with some some weeds. And the other thing that I've been doing, and I've reached the point now where I've I've got past that point, is um, I have a lot of forget me nots in the garden, oh, yes. and they've been coming up everywhere. And instead of trying to pull them out and compost them, I've just been pulling them out and using them as mulch. Mm. It works and quite well. And they break down so quickly; mm. they're yeah. fantastic. But they've just got to the point where the seeds are now forming. Oh yes, so, so you're getting oh, covered. Yeah, in. <laughs> so I'm getting some advice: if you're pulling out forget me nots when they're actually going into seed, the best way to stop your clothes getting covered in stuff is to do it naked. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Stephen. <laughs> Cleavers. Um, Weren't cleavers, if they were roasted, a substitute in the Second World War for coffee or something? Not no, I don't cleavers, think so, but you can think. eat the greenery of it if you're yeah. game to. It's, I mean, yeah. it's an edible it may, They may plant. have used the seeds. Yes, uh, the that's seeds. A, that's yeah. a possibility. Yeah. yeah, I know chicory was used that yeah. way, but I have a feeling. And dandelion and dandelion roots have been used that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think but, I'll stick with proper coffee well, the, One of the <laughs> things that they did use cleavers for was in the dairy. Um, they'd use it to strain milk. Mm. So oh. they'd spread it over the top of a, of a bucket or a container and pour the milk through it, and it would catch all the hairs and things that had gone into the... Milk, but in our modern dairies, obviously you don't need that. No, sort of you don't thing need now, that sort but, of thing at all. But it's just you know, but yeah. the way people used to use you know lots of things yeah. for yeah. their gardens. Yeah, yeah. so I get stuck into it and try and pull it out before it goes to seed because it drives me insane. And some of my neighbours don't do that, and so my cat will go for a wander into oh. the neighbour's place and oh. comes back with cleaver seeds stuck all over it. So, of course, it spreads it all through my garden again. So you never quite get on top of those things, even mm. if you manage to pull out all of yours. Um, yeah. You're bound to get it in again from somewhere else. And it's one of those pernicious, clever little weeds that 
it's huge before you even notice it's mm. there. It'll yes. sort of come up underneath another plant and then suddenly you see a little bit of it sticking out the top yes. and you get down the bottom and pull it out and you suddenly find you've got sort of two Great metres of, yes. of stuff yes. that comes out and then it sticks all over you like Velcro. My problem is that that uh, brings me out in a terrible rash. Oh, yeah, rash. I get rashes all over oh, my arms yes. from when I'm pulling it if I don't mm. wear long sleeves. I've got to have long sleeves if mm. I'm going to go near it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it doesn't last for long, but it's very uncomfortable oh, when you do get it on your arms. It's no, yucky. it's terrible. Mm. Yes. So, no, yeah. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, Penny, Penny, I'm sorry, but Pam is on my side with cleavers. But there you go. That's I'm a, on your side, It's Pam. also known as okay. goosegrass because yes. um, poultry love eating it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and, and apparently it depends on whether you're in England or Scotland as to whether you call it cleavers or goosegrass. Yeah. Um, and uh, I call it sticky willy. Yes. <laughs> that seems to be a name that seems to get around yeah. in Australia for it as yeah. well. So I don't know whether that's a name that is accepted overseas as a common name, but, yeah, sticky willy says it all most. It does all, say yeah. it all, yes. Yeah. Okay, let's go next to John, who's out in Bayswater. Good morning, John. Good morning. A uh, question for Stephen. Mm. We have a, a, a snowball tree which is very small blooms this year. Yeah. But it's very long and leggy. It's up over the roof. And mm. I'm just wondering, are we able to cut it in half and thicken it up? You can cut it even more than in half. And, in fact, I wouldn't cut it in half per se because what happens is if you brought it down to about half level, what's then going to happen is it's going to shoot from the top of the cuts where you made it and it's going to stay tall and leggy. I would actually bring it down quite low. Now, you won't get much in the way of flowers next year because it'll go into an enormous amount of strong growth from the base. Um, But it will settle down and flower again in another year or so. And I would suggest that your flowers are getting small because the plant is getting old and woody and it's not got much strong, vigorous, younger growth in it. True. And so, yes, I would cut it down to a stump virtually. Oh, very good. And uh, it will... Look, it's getting warm really quickly, so if it's going to do it this season, I'd do it fast. I wouldn't leave it too much longer because you don't want to cut it down and get a lot of hot weather afterwards because it's going to be hard to keep it watered enough and and for that new growth to be nice and strong. So I certainly wouldn't um, wait too long. Sure. Thank you very, very much. That's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah, viburnums are tough old things. They'll cope with any amount of pruning. Now, we do have two copies of the Organic Gardener magazine left. Um, You do need to be able to come into 3CR uh, to collect it, um, the uh, just come in during office hours and uh, you'll be able to get your copy. But you do need to ring us this morning and uh, we'll put your name on the list. So if you'd like one of those last two remaining copies of Organic Gardener magazine, the number to ring is 94190155. That's 94190155. And for those who weren't listening earlier, they're free. You don't have to. Yes, they're totally free. You just have to. We can't post them out to people. You just do have to come into 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy, just up from Victoria Parade, and uh, the uh, office staff will know all about them and you'll be able to get your copy. But do give us a call to make sure we have your name down. Uh, The number 94190155. Wendy, just a quick reminder, because it's all happening next weekend, um, remind listeners of some of the uh, the groups of plants you've got for sale, where to go to, all the details. Okay, uh, so it's at uh, just in from Egate, which is in Birdsville, Birdswood Avenue, so don't go down along the Yarra, it's up at the top of the hill. Um, there'll be signs everywhere, just follow the signs, there may even be a sign outside Egate, sometimes we're allowed to do that, sometimes we're not. 
Um, so what we have is a huge variety of, of different plants. We have perennials, we have trees and shrubs, we have succulents, which children just adore, uh, bromeliads and saracenias, bulbs, uh, especially one bulb, which is stenomesson variegata, which is very unusual, hard to find. Stephen, I'm sure, knows all about it. Seen it in the wild. Yeah. Oh, how exciting. Where? <laughs> in Peru. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> uh, we've got I w- a... always like to one-up everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Smarty pants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have Australian natives, um, but it sounds as though the, um, the other botanic gardens sounds like good place to go for Australian Actually, natives. Actually, that could be a place if people were looking for Dorianthuses too. Yes, There's a yes. chance they might have young ones down at Cranbourne yeah, for sale. Yeah, but they obviously have them in small small um, pots, which Smaller is much, which is yeah, yeah. great. It's the best way to buy Australian natives. Uh, we've got a lot of really interesting iris. We've got camellias, including the, the tea camellia. Uh, we've got herbs with oreganos and uh, satyrages or uh, savouries. Uh, the Varea rhododendrons with Teddy's Best is one of the, the best. It's the best yellow you can find. And Mrs Elizabeth Miller, which has soft pink, very strongly perfumed flowers. So that's beautiful. And the Vareas tend to flower twice a year, so you get more bang for your buck. Um, and we also have just a whole lot of different things like begonias, ferns, climbers. Orchids and hanging baskets. Wow, there's a lot there. There's a lot. Yes. I think people need to get there very early on Saturday morning and yes. line up. <laughs> yes. No, but we the, the, we've got a, a lot of stock, so and everything's looking great. Uh, and and so don't be daunted if you can't make it until Saturday afternoon or even Sunday. Mm. Um, that's fine. Um, and a little secret is that on Sunday afternoon uh, we have bargain time. And um, if you buy five plants or more, it's 30% off. Oh. Yeah. So if you want volume rather than just Specifics, a spe- yeah. specific special things, if you want volume, that's the time to go as well. Okay. Yes. But I'm, I, it changes. The time of day changes. But you finish depends. at three on Sunday, We finish don't at three, you? So yeah. you don't want to come too late. No, no. No, no, no. Lunchtime's a good time to come. Excellent, yes. fantastic, and of course we could we should mention that the uh, the plant sale down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens is also happening both days next weekend, mm-hmm. uh, ten till four on both days down there. Yeah, so if you're in in for some native plants, that's an obvious place to go. Yep. And I'm assuming it's not just native plants, but native plants that are a bit interesting and different, and a lot of them might not be available through the normal commercial nurseries, uh, as Absolutely. happens with the... With, with ours, yeah, yeah with we get a lot of WA stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, some really, yeah, really yeah. interesting varieties from nature. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's good. Mm. We've very quickly got time to fit in a call. We have uh, Beth, who's out in Clayton. Good morning, Beth. Hello. Um, I'm trying to rescue a rose uh, that has been neglected over the years. Uh, the the property has been raised last week, and there's this final rose that's managed to escape them. Um, if I can uh, try to rescue it, what what should I do with it? Or how, I'd how cut it I... back really hard, Beth. Pardon? I'd cut it back really hard. Yes. And then I would dig it up. And do you leave how much around the main stem would you leave? Well, it depends on the size of the rose, but you don't need a hugely big root system and you don't need to take the soil with it. Ah, 
So just right. get in there, dig it out, get as big a roots as you can, but don't, shake all the dirt off, prune it back by at least two-thirds. Two-thirds. Um, take it home, put it in a big pot with some good potting mix, give it some seaweed extract um, to start it off and keep it well watered, and within a couple of weeks it'll be shooting again. Yeah, well, it is shooting now. No, but it's I mean... never stop. The wonderful, wonderful roses. Yeah, but yeah. I'm talking about when you shift it. Oh, I see. Yeah, yes. it will. It will then keep shooting straight away afterwards. It will, yes. it will come back again very quickly. That's good but you potting. will need to cut it back quite hard. Yeah, good potting mix. And what was it? What was the sea? Sea seaweed. seaweed. Just seaweed. sea sole, maxi sea crop. Yeah, one yeah. of those seaweed emulsions good. will just help activate the roots. Yeah, but don't fertilise. Yeah, don't seaweed's no, not no, a fertiliser. No. Okay. And, oh, and I'll, don't let the roots dry out no, either. No. Okay, I'll try. Thank no, you. Good on you. Bye. I'd be surprised if you fail. Roses will shift quite easily, and they'll yeah. do it. At, I've, I've dug you've, roses you've up in December. It, yes, they're tough plants. Yeah, they are tough plants, and and, mm-hmm. and uh, in fact, the ones I dug up in December were going to get thrown away, and somebody asked if they could have them, so I potted them up for them and didn't lose a one. And I was as rough as guts getting them out of the ground because I was throwing them away. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, within about three weeks, they'd shot away again, and I think within about a month and a half, they were in full bloom in the pot. Mm. So, yes, much to my horror. <laughs> uh, I was so looking forward to, well, actually, I did get rid of the roses in the end. They went somewhere else. But uh, I just didn't want to even be exposed to them because they were these dreadful mixture of awful sort of bright colours. And oh, somebody with no taste planted them in the first place. I was really happy to get rid of them. Oh, but there you go. Went to a good home, I hope. Well, yes. I hope so. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, we have uh, run out of time for yet another week. We will be back um, next week, of course, at 7.30, our usual time slot. A big thank you to the team again this morning, to Stephen, to Penny, and big thank you to you, Wendy, for you. coming in, especially this morning. Thank you for um, having me. All the best for the plant sale next thank weekend. You. I'm sure it'll go really well. It always and, of course, it's, it's helping a great cause, keeping our botanic gardens kicking over. Um, But as I said, we will be back next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.